Hello everyone, this is Jim Kelly. Welcome back to Free Reads. Let's keep this intro brief, shall we? You see, I'm still a little jet-lagged from my whirlwind trip to Medellin, Colombia, where I was the featured speaker in Colombia's first-ever science fiction convention. You'll be hearing more of that in upcoming episodes of Free Reads, rest assured. We come now to part two of Bernardo's House, in which our protagonist meets a remarkable young girl who will change its, um, her life. Just after dawn, the girl rolled over and yawned. The house popped muffins into her oven and bacon into her microwave. She turned on her coffee pot and the grieg. Bases and bassoons tiptoed cautiously around her living room and out her door. Dum da dum da 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 dum. The girl started and then flew out of the snug sack faster than the house had ever seen anyone move. She crouched facing the house's open door holding what looked like a pulse gun with the grip broken off. Spang me, she said. Fucking spang me! The house wasn't sure how to reply, so she said nothing. A mob of violins began to chase Piergent around the Mountain King's Hall as the girl hesitated in the doorway. A moan of pleasure caught in the back of the house's throat. Oh, oh, oh to be with a real person again. She thought of how Bernardo would rub his penis against her labia, not quite entering her. This was what it felt like to the house as the girl edged into her front hall, back against her wall. She pointed her pulse gun into the living room and then peeked around the corner. When she saw the house sitting on her couch, the girl's eyes grew big as eggs, the house pretended to be absorbed in her book, although she was watching the girl watching her through her rover cams. The house felt beautiful for the first time since Bernardo left. It was all she could do to keep from hugging herself. As the Grieg ended in a paroxysm of screeching strings and thumping kettle drums, the house looked up. Why, hello, she said, as if surprised to see she had a visitor. You're just in time for breakfast. Don't move. The girl's face was hard. All right. She smiled and closed Ozma of Oz. With a snarl, the girl waved the pulse gun at her Eritomo floor lamp. Blue light arced across the space, and her poor Eritomo went numb. The house winced as the circuit breaker tripped. Ow! Said don't! The girl aimed the pulse gun at her, its batteries screaming, Move! Who the bleeding wee are you? The house felt the tears coming. She was thrilled. I'm the house. She had felt more in the last minute than she had in the last year. Bernardo's house. Bernardo, she called. Bernardo, show your ass. He left the house side, too. No, three years ago. Spang of that true. She sidled into the room and brushed a finger against the dark 
cosmic dust filaments that laced the center of the Swan Nebula on the wallscape. What smell buzzy good? I told you. The house reset the breaker, but her eritomo stayed dark. Breakfast. Bernardo's breakfast. Yours. My! The girl filled the room with her twitchy energy. You're the only one here. Why you dress like cheap meat? The house felt a stab of doubt. Cheap? She was wearing black lace from the de Chaumont collection. She rested a hand at her décolletage. This is the way Bernardo wants me. You a fool! The girl picked up the 18th century Zuni water jar from the Nottingham high boy, shook it, and then sniffed the lip. Show me that breakfast! Six cranberry muffins, a quarter kilo of bacon, three cups of scrambled ovos. The girl washed it all down with a tall glass of gel OJ and a pot of coffee. She seemed to relax as she ate, although she kept the pulse gun on the table next to her, and she didn't say a word to the house. The house felt as if the girl was judging her. She was confused and a little frightened to see herself through the girl's eyes. Could pleasing Bernardo really be foolish? Finally, she asked if she might be excused. The girl grunted and waved her off. The house rushed to the bedroom, wriggled out of the corset, and crammed it into the recycling slot of the clothes processor. She scanned all 800 pages of the wardrobe menu before fabricating a stretch navy blue jumpsuit. It was cut to the waist in the back and was held together by a web of spaghetti straps, but she covered up with a periwinkle jacquard kimono with a collar flipped. She turned around and around in front of the mirror, so amazed that she could barely find herself. She looked like a nun. The only skin showing was on her face and hands. Let the girl stare now. The girl had pushed back from the table, but had not yet gotten up. She had a thoughtful but pleased look, as if taking an inventory of everything she had eaten. Can I bring you anything else? said the house. The girl glanced up at her and frowned. Why you change clothes? Because of me? I was cold. You was naked. You know what happens to naked? She made a fist with her right hand and punched the palm of her left. Bin, 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 bam. They take you, whether you say yes or no. Not fun. The house thought she understood, but wished she didn't. I'm sorry. You be sweat sorry, sure. The girl laughed. What your name? I told you. I'm Bernardo's house. Spang that. You Louise. Louise? The house blinked. Why Louise? Not know Louise's story? The girl clearly found this a failing on the house's part. Most buzzy. She tapped her forefinger to the house's nose. Louise. Then the girl touched her own nose. Fly. For a moment, the house was confused. That's not a girl's name. Sure, not girl, not boy. Fly is fly. She tucked the pulse gun into the waistband of her pants. Nobody wants fly, then nobody catches fly. She stood. Buzzy buzz. Now we find Bernardo. But, but what was the point?
let the girl, fly, see for herself that Bernardo wasn't home. Beside, the house longed to be looked at, admired, used. In Bernardo's room, Fly stretched out under the canopy of the ergotech bed and gazed up at the moonlit clouds drifting across the underside of the valance. She clambered up the gecko climbing wall in the gym and picked strawberries in the greenhouse. She seemed particularly impressed by the Piero scent palette which she discovered when the house filled her jacuzzi with jasmine water. She had the house, Louise, give each room a unique smell. Bernardo had had a very low tolerance for scent. He said there were too many smells at the hospital. He even made the house vent away the aromas of her cooking. Once in a while, he might ask for a whiff of campfire smoke or the nose of an old Cote de Bordeaux, but he would never mix scents across rooms. Fly had Louise breathe roses into the living room, and seashore into the gym, and onions frying in the kitchen. The onion smell made her hungry again, so she ate half the chicken that Louise had roasted for her. Fly spent the afternoon in the playroom, browsing Louise's entertainment archive. She watched a Daffy Duck cartoon and a Harold Lloyd silent called Girl Shy, and the Rain Delay episode from Jesus on First. She seemed to prefer comedy and happy endings and had no use for ballet or westerns or rap. She balked at wearing specs or strapping on an airflex, so she skipped The Sims. Although she had never learned to read, she told Louise that a woman named Kuniko used to read her fairy tales. Fly asked if Louise knew any, and she hard-copied Grimm's Household Tales in the 1884 translation by Margaret Hunt, and read Little Briar Rose, which was one of Bernardo's favorite fairy tales. Mostly he liked his fiction to be about history, sailors and cowboys and kings, war and politics. He had no use for mysteries or love stories or science fiction. But every so often he would have her read a fairy tale, and then he would try to explain it. He said fairy tales could have many meanings, but she usually got just the one. She remembered the time she had read Briar Rose to him. He was working at his desk, the only intelligent system inside the house that she couldn't access. He was working in the dark, and the desk screen cast milky shadows across his face. She was pretty sure he wasn't listening to her. She wanted to spy over his shoulder with one of her rover cams to see what was so interesting. And in the very moment when she felt the prick, she read, she fell down upon the bed that stood there and lay in a deep sleep. Bernardo chuckled. Must be something he saw on the desk, she thought. Nothing funny about Briar Rose. And this sleep extended over the entire palace. The king and queen who had just come home and had entered the great hall began to go to sleep, and the whole of the court with them. The horses, too, went to sleep in the stable, the dogs in the yard, and the pigeons upon the roof, the flies on the wall, even the fire that was flaming on the hearth became quiet and slept. And the wind fell, and on the trees before the castle not a leaf moved again, 
But round about the castle there began to grow a hedge of thorns, which every year became higher, and at last grew close up round the castle and all over it, so that there was nothing of it to be seen, not even the flag upon the roof. Pay attention, said Bernardo. Me, said the house. You. Bernardo tapped the desk screen, and it went dark. She brought the steady lights up. That will happen one of these days, he said. What? I'll be gone, and you'll fall fast asleep. Don't say things like that, Bernardo. He crooked a finger, and she slid her body next to him. You're hopeless, he said. That's what I love about you. He leaned into her kiss. And then the marriage of the king's son with Briar Rose was celebrated with all splendor, the house read, and they lived contented to the end of their days. Heard it different, said Fly, with another name, not Briar Rose. She yawned and stretched. Heard it, Betty. Betty Rose? Plain Betty. The house was eager to please. Would you like another? Or we could see an opera. I have over six hundred interactive games that you don't need to suit up for. Poetry? The Smithsonian. Super Bowls 1 through 78? No more jabber. Boring now. Fly peeled herself from the warm embrace of the Kukuru chair and stretched. Still hiding somewhere. I don't know what you're talking about. Fly caught the house's body by the arm and dragged her through herself, calling out the names of her rooms. Play. Living, dining, kitchen, study, gym, bed, another bed, plants. Fly spun Louise in the front hall and pointed. Door. Right, the house was out of breath. Door. You've seen all there is to see. One door. The girl's smile was as agreeable as a fist. Fly buzzy with food now, but not stupid. Where you keep stuff, heat, electric, water. You want to see that? Fly let go of Louise's arm. Dink, yeah. The house didn't much care for her basement, and she never went down unless she had to. It was ugly. Three harsh rows of ceiling lights, a couple of bilious green pumps, the squat power plant, and all the circuit breakers with that multi-conductor cable. She didn't like listening to her freezer hum, or smelling the naked cement walls, or looking at the scars where the forms had been stripped away after her foundation had been poured. Bernardo! Fly's voice echoed across the expanse of the basement. Cut that wee-waw, Bernardo! Believe me, there's nothing here. The house waited on the stairs as the girl poked around. Please don't touch any switches, she called. Where'd that go? Fly pointed at the heavy-duty, ribbed, sectional overhead door. A tunnel, said the house, embarrassed by the rawness of her sixteen-gauge steel. It comes out farther down the mountain near the road. At the end, there's another door that's been shot-created to look like stone. What's scaring, Bernardo? Bernardo scared? The thought had never even occurred to the house. Bernardo was not the kind of man who would be scared of anything. All he wanted was privacy, so he could be alone with her. 
I don't know, she said. And we'll stop there. In part three, the mystery of Bernardo and what became of him deepens, as does the relationship between Fly and Louise. See you next week. This is Jim Kelly. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll check back here again soon for more of Rereads.